0: I hope that, uh, before we start in the message today, I hope that if you're a visitor that you feel absolutely comfortable here. I don't know, if you're for visitors, I have no idea what kind of church experience or background or what you're used to, and uh, maybe you saw some things or heard some things here that were different to you. You know, maybe somebody actually sang some words to God while all the rest of us were singing a song. Um, or maybe somebody was sitting when other people were standing or who knows, you know, hands up in the air. If that's not something you're used to, um, that's pretty much as wild as we get around here. Um, but it's, it's authentic. Okay, the word, the word tells us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And if it's the authentic expression of a person... And it's, it's not meant to draw attention to them personally. It's in order, and it's something that we encourage people here to do. So um, I'm, I'm glad you came if you're a visitor. Glad you feel um, comfortable, and I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to also say this about VBS especially. You, you cannot give these children a better gift than to invest into them the love of Christ. There is no better gift that you could ever give them. Throw away all the Xboxes, and then, no, don't throw those away, because those are pretty cool. <laughs> But put them somewhere way down the list compared to just giving the gift of the love of Christ. And listen, you don't have to have a doctorate in uh, kidiology or anything like that to work at our VBS. You just have to be willing to love on kids. And I, I promise you this, if you'll do that, the Holy Spirit will show up in you and you will somehow put something into the children that the Lord entrusts to you. You don't have to be an expert. We will train you to do the things you gotta do. It's real simple, you know, like, It's simple stuff. Even I could do it, okay? So listen, if there's anything stirring in your heart right now about this, take 15 minutes after service and just go right on around out there to the children's room and say, okay, I don't know about this, but I'm going to trust God and you to get me where I need to be so I can serve these kids for a week sometime in July. And it's in the evenings, I think, isn't it? Okay, fair enough. Anyway, so please, please invest yourself in that. Today's the 26th, so we're going to take a quick dip into Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. And now this is the message translation of the Bible, which is always kind of a little animated. It's kind of a fun one. So you're going to get an animated reading. See that man who thinks he's so smart? You can expect far more from a fool than from him. Wow. Come on, that's fun, Isn't that kind of fun? So there were these two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah. And they did everything they could do to stop the work that God was doing in uh, his people. Tobiah mocked Nehemiah. He said, hey, even if a little lightweight fox climbed up on top of that wall, you build such a crummy wall, it's going to be a pile of crumbs again. It's never going to last. Yet Nehemiah was not discouraged, and he turned to God for his strength. Today I want to talk about how we defeat discouragement, and overcome opposition so that you can finish the work of God that he's called you to do. Nehemiah was a simple guy. He was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. That simply means he was the wine tester. Before the king got to drink the wine, he would drink it. And it's not because he was some manner of wine expert. He was a crash test dummy for poison, right? Okay? So his job basically was taste the stuff before the king got to eat it or drink it so that he would die instead of the king if it was poisoned sounds pretty cool you get the best foods prepared by, for for the top dog in the best kitchens and so forth and but there is this one part of the job that really doesn't work out so well when it happens it's kind of it's a bad way of losing It's a bad way of being laid off i suppose so it wasn't so so good and one at one point he heard from his brother he says hey what's the deal back home thousand miles away how are things back home his brother says well it's the walls are down, it's, the people are humiliated, the, there's vulnerability, it's just not too good a deal. And when he heard that news, it broke his heart. And he responded in a way that I think um, we do sometimes, and I'd like us to do it all the time, and that is that he just kind of sorted through this and he says, you know what, somebody's got to do something about this, and it just might as well be me. So he prayed and... Um, And prayed and prayed, and then he went to the the king, to Artaxerxes, and got permission, which was a miracle. There's a whole backstory. I'm not going to go into it today. We've been there. Got permission to travel back and to rebuild the walls. After 140 years of hopelessness, Nehemiah brings hope to this this crowd of people living in this city. And um, as soon as they started to make progress, sure enough, there was a problem. There can be some problems. Because whenever you move forward for God, opposition is always going to show up. Whenever you move forward for God, you decide to help the kids at VBS, opposition is going to show up in some way. That's not a very good sales job, is it? (laughs) But it's the truth. Some sort of opposition is going to show up. So sure enough, some of these people in Jerusalem... They had, they, had oppo- they, they had opponents. They had Sanballat and Tobiah to and some others that we don't know. These were political opponents, and their thinking was, we've got to keep these Jews down. We've got to keep them weak and vulnerable so that we can take advantage of them. They were basically protecting their own power and their own financial interests. So here's this unfortunate fact, and we're going to explore this a little bit today. Whenever you move forward for God, the enemy wants to stop you. Now, next week, we're going to wrap up the series. And... Um, But today, I want to talk about how to defeat discouragement and and when you face opposition. Whenever you move forward, whenever you move forward for God, you're going to encounter the enemy of God, who happens to therefore be your enemy as well. The word says that his mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy anything that is important to the heart of God. That's his mission, to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And the word also describes our enemy. He says that he seeks, go, goes around seeking who he may devour. A um, couple of references from First Peter and from John 10. Whenever you do something God calls you to, this enemy is going to show up. So I think considering... Here's a here's funny thing, though. I, I look at Nehemiah, and I think considering the background... We should expect things to go smoothly. Okay, here's this guy. He's 1,000 miles away. And right-heartedly, he says, yes, God, use me. I'm going to go and, and do these things. So you'd think God would say, all oh, right, grease those skids. Move things out of the way. And, and you'd think, think that that would be the way things would go, right? <laughs> right. That's what we would think. But actually, no. And the reason, here's the point that I want to make. We don't face opposition because we're doing things wrong. We face opposition because we're doing things right. We've got to think of who's opposing us and what it would what it, what be. Okay, I know you're going, oh, great great news, Terry. Thanks for that. Because <laughs> I've been facing some opposition, so that must mean I must be moving towards I mean... I mean, I, I'll give you a couple, I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes, though, we we face opposition. It has nothing to do with right or wrong. It has to do with the decision that we made. Um, Lisa and I, um, we have, have a place that we like to go sometimes, and we get away on vacation. And, and when I think about this, we can be in a place where we're spending time. And there's a place, another place we like to drive to. It's probably four miles away at the most, but it's... To get there, you take this long, you know, the road, you drive around and up this highway, and to get back there, it's like an hour drive. An hour, a good hour, maybe more, to get from A to B four miles away. Now, I'm tempted sometimes, you know, I I never have the right equipment, but I'm tempted to think, you know, with a four-wheel drive, you just, it'd be kind of cool, and you'd be right there. But the truth is, Unless you had some kind of a Superman four-wheel drive, it would be probably more close to a half-a-day drive or maybe three-quarters. Maybe a whole day by the time you add in the tow truck and the humiliation. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sometimes we face opposition because we get off of the approved roadway. And when you get off of the approved roadway or the recommended or the safe roadway, you should expect that there are going to be ruts, potholes, logs, and other broken ball joints and all these things that go wrong because you've chosen not to go on the approved way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the opposition we face when we are on the right roadway. And uh, we just have to understand that because think about it like this. Why would your enemy pay any attention to you if you're not doing anything to oppose him? So it's when we're doing something right that the enemy opposes us. You can probably think of times in your background when you were pushing towards God and you felt opposition. You experienced something. Well, I want to I explore this a little bit in Nehemiah. And today we're going to see two different ways that our spiritual enemy tries to discourage us. And although this message is focused on leadership, and, and I say that because I really believe the Lord is calling us to levels of, various levels of leadership um, I think this applies at that level, but, uh, but the things we're going to talk about today also have um, relevant application at, at a personal, personal level as well. Okay, so two, two ways our spiritual enemy tries to discourage us. One, he's going to try to discourage us from the outside, external forces that want to come along and try to convince you to quit. So Nehemiah's building the wall. The enemies show up to try to discourage God's people. Let's take a look in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the the Jews. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, time out for a second. Notice something about ridicule. That the power is based upon peer pressure. This great scary guy, put him by himself, this stuff melts away. Anyway, he he says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And now his sidekick chimes in, you know, whatever. Um, He says, Tobiah, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even if even a fox climbed on it he would break down all their wall of stones. So here comes this opposition from the outside. And that opposition from the outside comes in two forms, I can think of at least. The first form that I see is an obstacle. You're moving forward. You're making progress about something in your life. And all of a sudden, you realize that if you've taken a couple of steps forward, all of a sudden, you find yourself three steps backwards. For example, you know, Maybe the Lord's spoken to you about getting out of debt. In fact, you're so excited about this, you're going to name your first baby Dave Ramsey, and you're going to live life off of of a, you know, it's a little girl, and I feel sorry for her, but but, um, you're going to live on a cash basis out of envelopes. You're doing all these things. You're just starting to do it, and your transmission falls apart, and it's a $999.99 repair bill. Two steps forward, three steps back. Or maybe... You decide you're going to lead your family spiritually. You're going to rise to something new and fresh. And you're going to start reading your Bible. And you're going to start praying together. And then your teenager says to you, I don't know if I believe in God. Two steps forward, three steps back. Or maybe you, know, you run a business and you've decided this business is going to stand for God. And I'm going to instill some qualities and some character issues and some, some godliness in the way we run the place. And then a year from now, you find out that you've lost all your employees. They've, for one reason or another, quit. You feel like you took a step for righteousness, two steps forward, one step back. Our spiritual enemy doesn't attack you when you're doing something wrong. He does it when you're doing something right for God. And these obstacles that come up are going to try and talk us out of doing something. Exactly what it is the Lord wants us to do. Two steps forward, three steps back. Exactly where the enemy wants us to be. He wants you to say, oh, this is too much heat. I think I'll just back right back out of the kitchen. Too much heat in there. I want to encourage you, don't let any obstacle discourage you from doing what God called you to do. The second way that we'll face opposition from the outside is with criticism. Criticism. Oh, man. Bless that little one with love and with whatever it needs way to go mom <laughs> um, the second one is criticism so we got san and tobiah who are you you feeble little jews you uh, a little fox could defeat your wall you losers and you're going to get this too I, I know none of you have ever been criticized no you're going to get this too you may be pretty excited about something you're going to do on behalf of god and you, you, you decide, okay, I'm going to get a few men together and I'm going to have us a, a Bible study and I don't know how this will go. And somebody says to you, you? What makes you think you could do that? No one's going to show up when they find out you're the leader. You? You can't even manage your own life. Or um, you decide to leave a higher paying job for a lower paying job because a lower paying job is going to use your giftedness and bring you joy and happiness. And it feels like it's the Lord. You decide to do that. And the people around you are going. You're what? What are you smoking? You know. They're going to say what? You're going to what? Leave a higher paying job. What are you crazy? As soon as you start doing something right. Your spiritual enemy starts to show up to derail you. You're new to God. And so you're reading your Bible and you decide you want to take your lunch break at work and instead of whatever you used to do, you're reading your Bible and some of your pals start noticing this and they start calling you some kind of a crazy, whacked out kook. Criticism. Trying to talk you out of the forward momentum in the kingdom that's going on in your life. And here's an unfortunate truth about something to understand. If you want to make change... If you want to do something significant, if you want to be a leader, enduring criticism is part of leadership. should not be that way, but it's a fact. In our fallen world, it is. You need to know that if you're going to do something significant, you are going to be criticized. Sanballat and Tobiah, in different names, will show up in your life. Don't call them that. That's not, that's not nice. You're a Sanballat. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And they criticized Nehemiah, it's interesting to note what Nehemiah did not do. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't call up his friends crying. Woo-hoo! He just doesn't understand me. If I could only get him to talk, maybe we can negotiate. Maybe I could convince him to change. Maybe, maybe I could convert him. Now he didn't do any of that. He did two things that you can see as you look in the text. He took it to God, and then he got back to work. Anytime people criticize you, you do not have to go and lead defensively. You don't have to do that. You, know, you don't have to beg people, hey, be on my side. You just take it to God, and you get back to work. Okay, so Terry, do people ever criticize you? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, people do criticize me. Um, they do and it's 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 hard and um, yet you know I can I can think of I'll give you an example now this one goes back quite a ways like um, this is quite a long time ago I was pretty pretty new in the business world we had only been married for a year or two and and I was working in this large corporation they had hired me and uh, there were morale problems and in this corporation there it was a very it was a it was a very unionized versus management mentality was present. The union versus the management. In fact, at this company, a large corporation, it was Pacific Northwest Bell. Many of you have never heard of them because (laughs) it's the phone company. Back when it was the phone company, anyway, a long time ago, and... um, the place I was hired, there was a morale problem, and it was just this adversarial thing. And like clockwork, every three years, there'd be a strike, and it was vitriolic, and then they'd go back to work, and da-da-da. And, and the animosity continued when they weren't on strike. There was just always this deal. And I was green behind the ears. I had no idea that it was like that. I had no idea. I, that was not my background. I was young. I mean, I just, I just didn't. I was naive, really naive. Even more than that. Anyway, so I, I, I show up to work and I'd probably only been there for a couple of months, and I'm chewing away, doing my job, and doing the best I can do. And and uh, so the boss, the manager, calls everybody together. We got to talk about morale, and I hear all this kind of whining stuff going on. I said, oh, "Excuse me, not smart enough yet to keep my mouth shut until the right time." Yes, I, you know, yes, whoever you are, you know, new guy. I said, "You know, I'm I'm new here." This company hired me, gave me a job, sent me off to training. In that training, they invested in me thousands and thousands of dollars. They put me in a hotel. They gave me an expense account. I got to have steak dinner, which isn't my normal thing, paid for by the company. I mean, this company has really invested in me. I'm grateful. <laughs> nice speech, Terry. You know, you could just... I didn't realize it at the time, but you could just see the animosity building towards me among my my coworkers. They were ticked because I'd broken the rule. We're against them no matter when they're right or wrong. We're against them was kind of the attitude. I didn't realize this. Well, there was one gal who I can remember her name and her face to this date 34 years later. I didn't know it at the time, but she decided, okay, bud. You better grow eyes in the back of your head because you're going to need them. And this gal really in 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 in, in evil ways decided that she was going to bring me down. You know, she didn't like what I stood for. She didn't like how green I was. She didn't like my attitude of, of and this continued and I started having all these problems and as I would trace backwards I would find them always going back to this person. This person whose name you would never know this person. Um, but anyway, it just always went back and went back, and it hurt, misunderstood. I mean, some of it was my own fault for speaking up like a young, impetuous man sometimes does. Um, you know, you think you know everything, and so you just say what you believe, and you do it with conviction and no sensitivity, and, and that can cause problems. And so I I earned some of this, the chafing that I got. I didn't earn a lot of it. A lot of it I I got because I just stood for righteousness, gratitude. A good attitude was an idea that was just, it just. And um, so what I I did was Lisa and I talked about it. And after all of the whimpering was done, we took it to God and I got back to work. I decided I was not going to let someone else's attitude dictate my attitude. I took it to God, and I got back to work. Now, long story short, um, the hand of the blessing of heaven was upon me in that job. At, um, at way accelerated, it wasn't because I was sucking up to the boss, but at a way accelerated rate that can't be explained except by the grace of God, I was promoted. was one of the youngest managers that company ever had. I kept getting promoted, kept getting promoted, was overseeing more and more responsibility. And eventually, I had great jobs, great pay, and great locations. And this group of people, there was one time where the company was on strike. And they were so vitriolic during their strike that the vice president of the company, which was you a know, pretty big deal, had heard about some of the things that were going on during the strike and he said, that's fine. When this strike is over, we're going to consolidate. We're going to close that office down and move that work to another place. We just This is too much. And cooler heads prevailed and that didn't happen. But that's where that attitude went. Eventually, it did close down along with other organizations as the the company changed. I don't know what happened except I know that, that she and the crowd she ran with eventually got laid off. They became expendable. Probably, who knows the reason, finances. The long and the short of it is, is that Lisa and I took it to God and we got back to work. And God bless that. God bless that. Terry, another question. Does it ever bother you when you get criticized? Well, of course. I'm a human being. It hurts. It does. But I don't ever let that direct me into sloppy leadership. I just try not to ever let that happen. What I do is I try to take it to God and then I get back to work. Why? Because you don't answer to critics. You answer to God. And there are some critics in your life that it will never be your role to convince them. It will be the Holy Spirit's role through someone else. So take it to God and get back to work. Okay, so when you're doing something right, there's two ways enemies is going to discourage you from the outside. The second way is from the inside. I know, you were ahead of me on that one, right? From the outside and then from the inside. So here we see it in verse 10. The insecurities of the Jewish people are now starting to flow out. Nehemiah um, chapter four, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild rebuild the wall. Oh, it's never gonna work. Now that's discouragement that's coming in from the inside. So we get it from the outside, we also get it from the inside. On the outside, we had Sanballat and Tobiah who are not followers of God, and they chose to make themselves enemies of God, and so that's opposition from the outside. On the inside, these are probably well-meaning people. It's a good idea that we have a wall, but it'll never happen. We just don't have what it takes. The wall's been down 140 years. What makes us so special that we can do that? And when you're doing something for God, your enemy is going to try and discourage you from the inside. Here's another. I'm going to give you a quick example from our previous time up at Living Water. Um, we were pastoring the Olympia High School campus, and uh, I kind of pushed some things back into formative stages. And uh, uh, if you may not be familiar with it, but it was a, a, a campus where we had live worship. We had a live pastor present. I was that leader. And, uh, but we didn't have live preaching present. It was a DVD of the message that the main campus was, was getting that same day. It was the Saturday night message and so forth. So it was in the theater at Olympia High School, which is fixed seating, very comfortable, great for watching, not so, good, not so much good for a church participation setting. Uh, but it also was just outside a huge foyer. And in that great big huge foyer, was a, was the, it was the church cafeteria. So we had the opportunity to do something a little novel. We set up we set up a bunch of chairs and we put up some big towers and some big flat screen TVs. We had cameras in the room and we put sound and video out there. So it was what we called a cafe church. The idea was that people could come to church who in a cafe, in a high school that wouldn't come to a little church building because they just aren't comfortable or they've been hurt or bruised somewhere. And you might guess there was some resistance to the idea because you know, if you were to walk in there at any given time, you'd see on a Sunday Um, people talking, worship's going on in the room, it's showing up on the TVs, it's through the speakers, but people in there were talking to each other or maybe reading a newspaper and drinking some coffee. It looked more like, I don't know what it looked like. It didn't look like church. I loved it. I loved that because, because, and and even some of the regular sanctuary church people quit doing that and they went out there because it was comfortable and so forth. The ones that tended to do that, had a mission. I watched them. They had a mission. They were out there to make the unchurched people who would visit feel comfortable and loved on. And they did. They fellowshiped and they were just that personality type and they made a difference. Over time, because I pastored that campus consistently, Lisa and I did, um, I watched people come, sit, read coffee, drink coffee, read newspapers, and leave. I watched them gradually over long periods of time. Lots of them. They didn't want to do that anymore. Pretty soon, they started paying attention. Pretty soon, that wasn't enough. Pretty soon, they wanted to sit in the room and be a part of what was going on. Not that they weren't already out there. The Spirit of God was in that cafe. But I got resistance from the inside because when you worship God, this is how you you do it. Don't tell me any other way because that is worship, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm being a little bit Strident about that. But there were people who really struggled feeling that somebody sitting or reading a newspaper while other people saying, Glory to God in the highest, that was disrespectful to God. I don't think so. I think disrespectful to God is something intentionally disrespectful to God. Here you have someone who is being authentic. I would rather have an authentic person sit and read a newspaper and drink a cup of coffee during worship than have a phony Christian waving it and not meaning it. <laughs> As a parent, I love the fact that we have kids in here. The kids come in with us. They learn to worship from their parents. They're watching you. They're learning from you. They're learning reverence. And I think a parent has a role to say to their children, you know what, honey? This is, we're going to worship God and it's really respectful. Let's stand up. Okay, that's the role of a parent. But it's not the role of a peer unless you've been asked to speak into someone's life. It's not our role to judge somebody else in this room in the manner and the fashion that they worship. So I'm comfortable with, this is just Terry speaking now, I'm comfortable with somebody coming here during worship and maybe they sit. Now, I'm not comfortable with somebody coming in and putting on a scene. Somebody drawing attention to themselves. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with somebody coming in and causing a disruption for the people around them. But what I like is authenticity. I think during worship, and I appreciated last week, Eric was leading a song. and He said, you know, you might need to sit and do it, whatever, do that thing. I love that sensitivity because if someone is sitting, that doesn't mean they're not worshiping. Maybe they want to be standing with you. Maybe there's a problem with the ankle. Maybe they're just plain tired. I don't know. Just, I hope they're worshiping in spirit and truth. And there probably are imperfect worshipers present here every Sunday. I'm one of them. I come in and I'm distracted about stuff. You know, I happen to sit up in the corner because it's close and I feel like I should be up, you know, to be ready to do whatever. But I'm inhibited because I want to do this a lot. But I'm thinking, oh, no, if I do that, I'm blocking somebody's view of the words. So I try to be sensitive. My arms don't go up. Then I, then I go back up again. And then I'm thinking, you know, why don't you just go do your exercises somewhere else, Terry? I said, <laughs> and then I'm thinking about, you know, the Daytona 500 is going right now. And I'm, I got a machine watching it for me. Do not tell me what happens because I'm going to find out later. I mean, I'm an imperfect worshiper. Something in my mind says that if I'm a perfect worshiper, I'm flat on the floor, chewing through the carpet, trying to get down to the floorboards, pressing myself down in reverence to God. That would be nice. But I don't think our Father requires that of us. He requires authenticity. And what happened out in that cafe was criticized because sometimes people had an expectation and a picture of what they thought was right. So... Sometimes, from within, we get criticized by well-meaning people. There's a book uh, to pastors written. It's called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And it's referring to you and me. We mean well, but sometimes the way we express our intentions becomes a dragon in somebody else's life. And um, Okay, so sometimes criticism comes from the inside. Now, other times, criticism comes from the inside. And it's not a well-intentioned dragon. It's something a little more sinister. And... Um, That's not good because sometimes sinful motives are involved Um, and it's kind of scary. So I just want to just only for a second detour on this topic. I don't want to need to spend a lot of time, but, but uh, it's one of the things that God hates. He hates it. I don't want to soften that. Um, I'm not going to pound it in or anything, but uh, I think we should read that in Proverbs six verses 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And to get this one, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Um, The way I memorize that verse is one who sows discord among the brethren. We have to be so careful that we don't do that, that we don't criticize each other. I'm, I'm not saying that you just go along with everything. But when you see something that you really believe needs to be talked about or addressed, there's a righteous way to do that. Criticism is never going to be it. There's a righteous way. Matthew 18 tells us the way to do that. That's for another time. But criticism never does that. And here's the, here's the concern to you and me. If we ever let our tongues become a criticizer, it could very be possible that that person has claimed the promises of Isaiah 54 that says, No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm afraid if I criticize somebody, they've gone to God and said, Lord, I'm going to hold that promise. And then my tongue all of a sudden becomes this weapon formed against them. And now my tongue can't prosper because God will keep that promise to them. And that's, that's scary enough, but here's something even you know, more stark for me. I think how must Jesus feel that the moment anybody starts to carve into the very same bride he died to give birth to. Pretty amazing. Anyway, so criticism kind of can have the tendency to dig in like a tick, you know, and, and it's hard to get it out once it gets going. You know, who do they think they are? Who do you think you are to pray out loud? Who do you think you are to tell somebody else about your faith? You're disqualified. You're not capable. And discouragement and defeat just gets pumped in by the enemy. And I think you need to reject it right now. Instead, you should believe that you're capable to defend the unborn, that you're capable to feed hungry children, that you're capable of taking orphan kids into your home, that you're, you're capable. And you're, when you hear that voice, who do you think you are and all of those kinds of things, you'll learn to deal with it because I promise you when you learn to step out for God and do something significant, you're going to face opposition. But listen, be encouraged because you're being attacked for being the representative of God in heaven here on the earth why you're being attacked because you've lined up with god so how do you defeat discouragement let's see what scripture says nehemiah did um, chapter 4 verse 14 after i looked things over i stood up and i said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people don't be afraid of them remember the lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home he basically says if you're discouraged do these two things one Remember whose idea this is. It's God's idea. God puts something on your heart to go get involved in VBS. It's God's idea. He carries responsibility for the engineering now. You just carry the responsibility for the obedience. He carries responsibility for the fruit. You carry the responsibility for obedience and for following him. It's his idea. So, you know, here's here's, uh, Nehemiah basically reminding you: remember our God is awesome. Pharaoh wanted to keep our people down and he tried to discourage us and god said no and he sent all these plagues and he pried pharaoh's fingers with, and pharaoh not only released us he said take the gold with you and he did and then when he changed his mind and the and the and the, and the legions attacked and were sure going to kill us god opened up the sea and we escaped and then they came chasing us and god washed them away just like he does with sin cool analogy right he I mean, he reminds these guys about thing after thing of time after experience i mean and I I look at I look in my rearview mirror. I can think of a time when our precious little baby Joseph, who's a big boy now, but but our precious little baby Joseph had pneumonia. I don't know how old he was. How old was he? Three months. I can't fix pneumonia. I cannot fix. I can tune up. I I can, well, I can mess up a car engine. But I mean, (laughs) I mean, there are some things I can fix. I could not fix the pneumonia in my three-month-old three little boy. And um, this sense of helplessness <laughs> that was on me and with Lisa, I remember um, him being in a, in a place in, I guess, what it equates to intensive care for infants in the hospital and us being on the outside of glass walls. I remember other Christians sitting with us, and they didn't do anything to fix him either, but they just loved on us, and I was so blessed by that but I remember the Lord healing my boy. I was so grateful. Because I couldn't do it. You can tell me natural forces were at work. Okay, whatever. Whatever. I'm just telling you, I remember God healed my little boy. And a whole list of memories just lots of them in my life that I've seen and watched intervene. When my heart was broken about something where God would come in and fix it and mend my, I remember. And I want to say to you right now that for many of you, it's time to remember again. It's just time to remember again today. Tonight, tomorrow, keep remembering Look back to when God provided, when God protected, when God showed up and you were alone. Look back and remember. Okay, second thing is remember who you're doing it for and then fight for your cause. Fight for your cause. Because if you only fight for yourself, you will eventually wear down, get tired, and give up. But when you fight for someone you love, someone who needs you, someone who can't make it without you, the Holy Spirit will give you a power that you never knew before. And you'll see him show up in your circumstances. If you fight for someone else, God will give you the spiritual strength that you could never have on your own. Nehemiah says, fight for your families, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for their future. You know, sometimes Christianity is not a playground. Sometimes it's just a good old-fashioned battlefield. Sometimes that's what it is. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities. It's not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And you get down on your knees and fight like a person of prayer. And every now and then, you do what Nehemiah did what he said to the people, Sometimes we're going to be building and you'll have to put your tool in one hand and you'll have to put your weapon in the other. And you'll sometimes have to fight and you will and the Lord will empower you. But we're not going to stop working because what we're doing is too important. That's how important this cause is. You know, I don't know what you need to fight for. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna be the unborn, the little kids that are being abused, that you know, maybe you're gonna stand up for single moms, maybe, you know, maybe your fight is gonna be for your own marriage. But stand up and fight for it. Fighting maybe will be for you, standing for those who don't know Christ, finding a way for them to make their way to the king. When you remember who God is and you decide to fight for something outside of yourself, the Spirit of God is going to give you strength. In your your weakness, His strength is going to be made perfect. Don't you ever give up. Don't ever give up. When you face opposition to discouragement, it's not going to be because you're doing something wrong. It's going to be because you're doing something right. Your God will use you to fight for the cause that He's put upon you, and he'll use you to change this world. I just want to pray with you. Let's pray. God, uh, I I want to first and foremost bring before you even the smallest level of discouragement that might be sitting in our hearts today. Recognizing, God, that um, you have a plan, Lord, to lift that weight off of our souls. I want to thank you, God, for that plan and for your loving ways. I want to pray about that discouragement. Lord, rev up our memories. Help us to remember. I think probably there are some here who the memories haven't been that good. Lord, you are our loving God. You are the defender of our faith. You are the author of life. We know, Lord, the way the scriptures tell us that you think about us. You you, you think about our future and our hope in Jeremiah. You, you've said that to us. I pray, Lord, for people here who have a hard time remembering that they would come to know their Father in heaven is speaking to them. I think about your future and about your hope. Let that reside within us. But Lord, we choose now to remember the times you've intervened. We, So we will take these criticisms to you, Lord, and then we'll get back to work. I pray, Lord, now, too, for the things that you would call us to be doing or being as individuals. God, I I just consider five, ten miles, every direction from from where where we meet today, the people that need you and how you will use us to care for our community. Lord, I have no idea what it will be. I just really don't but I trust you, God. So I pray, Lord, for the things that you're stirring in order to care for people, how we can be used by that, Lord. I pray that you would begin to pour those things into our hearts in ways that we can see them. Now, some of them we talk about publicly here, but probably most of them are gonna be, um, they're gonna be new to us. I wanna thank you for that. God, I wanna pray too concerning hurt. Lord, I don't want to ever minimize how we've been bruised before by being mishandled and improperly loved. I pray, Lord, that that this would be, that this house would be a house of worship, but that it would also be a place where anybody can engage with you. Let that be spiritually declared in the heavenlies and on yes. earth that this place will be a place that anybody can engage with you, Lord Jesus. We invite that. Yes. Lord, I thank you for your for your love upon us this day and for answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Terry.